from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the things that make us go wow. Wow. Uh, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our chief creative officer. Sounds like an SM relationship, but it isn't. Tom Campbell. Hello, hello, hello. Good to it see you. It is a little bit, I'm afraid to tell you. <laughs> and our endless source of inspiration, editor of the Wow Report, James St. James. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? And of course, Blake Jacobs. Hi. Hi, Blake. This is um Blake tells me this is our 15th show in uh, lockdown. Jeez, um, 15th annual show. So we've been here 15 years. And um, Wait, can you imagine when we, when we, the first one, I thought we might be home for a month. Man, were we wrong. <laughs> I know. I thought yeah. we'll be back traveling, doing things by July. Yeah, we are. No, we are. I don't think I will ever see a lot another person again. I will never see any of you live ever again. That could be an improvement for all of us, I suppose, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we just go remote, you know? I mean, it, there is much less driving to and from meetings. I the 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 anxiety of parking has completely gone away. <laughs> anyway, let's count down the top ten things that made us go, wow, this week, number ten, Tom. Number 10. I finally saw the documentary that everyone is talking about. Uh, it's Mucho, Mucho, Mucho Amor. The Walter Mercado documentary currently streaming on Netflix. Um, uh, have either of you seen the documentary? I saw it at Sundance. Oh, you I did? saw it at Sundance and talked about it here on this very show. Um, Still my thunder. We're doing it again. It's worth talking about it again. Uh, it James, is. What, what have you seen it yet? I, I have not, but I'm a huge fan of Walter's and I've been following him for you know my whole life, and I, he's just an icon for the ages. So right. I'm excited Walter, to see it. And he reminds me a lot of you in the best way. <laughs> no, because Walter Mercado, just for those who don't know, I don't know who you are. Walter Mercado is this iconic figure who just recently passed away, um, uh, but just had a documentary, a loving documentary called Mucho Mucho Amor, which was his sign off. He was so many things, but he was. Famous, famous, famous in Latin, in Latin America and Latin world and Latin language television as the uh, the good hearted astrologer. He was and from like the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he uh, crossed over at certain points. He had his own kind of like psychic hotline. But really and, and he is flamboyant, like uh, beyond belief. Yes, he is the, the psychic Liberace is what he yes. is. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> talks about has a little boy. Um, someone saw him bring a bird back to life and thought he was a healer. So, and and he's this, you know, one of these incredible characters who just decided to see. He felt he had a destiny and seized it, and he wanted to be famous. But the and he was an actor, and he was he was openly gay is the wrong word, right? Because in the fifties and sixties and seventies, we weren't openly gay. But he was. I think flamboyant sorry he was exact no exactly just like liberace fluid non-binary i would go so far as to yeah. say and um probably really, the first non-binary person or gender fluid person or gay person that many people saw growing up and was accepted into your living room just as a matter of course and th th nobody ever questioned it yes 
And at the same time, they do hint upon Latin speaking comedians would make fun of him in sketches. And it was always, you know, at the expense of gay people jokes. But he rose, he hated that, but he rose above it. And really the thing, I thought of James because he would ornately dress himself with jewels and just the most expensive things and Versace things. And, and he lives a little more humbly toward the end of his life, still okay, but humbly. But in his bedroom was this wild collection of, of capes and robes and you know, <laughs> the Pope meets Liberace. And, and he would just throw them on. There's a fashion show at one point. And it, that made me think 100% of James St. James. I thought of Fenton Bailey because this documentary reminded me a lot, and not to compare them apples for apples, but oh. it reminded me of the eyes of Tammy Faye, which is the documentary you and Randy did, which of people, that should be on a list of documentaries that people need to see if they haven't seen. Just one of those figures who brought joy and in some respects was uncomplicated in that respect. They had a pure mission of bringing joy. Liberace, Tammy Faye, you know, and it's a terrible tragedy, right? I mean, he was terribly badly ripped off. That's the awful, there's a dark part of the story. There is a villain in the story. It's his manager and it's told well because the, the manager kind of comes on. He's sort of telling, you know, everyone's sort of telling the myth and telling the origins. And, and, and Walter was incredibly grateful to this manager because he brought, you know, he made his dreams come true. He, he took him from sort of basic cable to the world, but you know, in, in these awful, you know, whenever there's that power dynamic and that lure of money, the manager had him sign like a contract that gave away his rights and his likeness and his name for perpetuity. Yeah. It was just crazy and something overcame. You know, we always feel like we have a tiny little part of the Walter Mercado story because when we did Viva Hollywood, Search for America's Numero Uno Telenovela Star, the show that we produced a year before Drag Race, which really influenced so much of what we do in Drag Race, Walter Mercado, we met him and he was part of it. And he was, you know, the Rue males we have now where Rue comes on in the beginning all glammed up and kind of gives them mysterious advice about what they're about to do. Walter served that role in Viva Hollywood. He was the, and, and, and it ended with mucho, mucho amor. To, and what was it like to meet him, Tom? You met him. Yes, we all met him. We, we, he came to the office with his assistant. He also has the other thing, sort of gay history, if you will, is, he has an assistant who I don't think was his lover, but it was that acceptable way to have a lover when you lived in a world where you couldn't have a partner. The, the, the assistant claims he never had laid a finger on him. They talk about it very openly. They weren't in the closet, so to speak, by the end. But you know that that was sort of an acceptable way to have affection and someone who cared about you every step of the way. Tom, are you admitting something about you and your assistant that we need to know? Does uh, HR need to know about? Well, you're going to be meeting someone who works for me a little bit later, but not <laughs> at all. Um, and it's just the last thing, and it's what Fenton said and underlined. It's like, wow, what a message of love. Because they say that um, Lynn manuel uh, what's his name from uh, yeah, Hamilton, goes yeah, Hamilton. Hamilton. And he explains, as does everyone else, that when – They'd be watching, you know, trashy, you know, afternoon television, as we all do. And all of a sudden, Walter's 15 minutes would go, shh, shh. And everyone would sit to wait for their sign. But and, and all of his horoscopes were about love. You know, it was a metaphor for him to reach through the television and cast a spell on you and tell you you could be what you wanted to be. You can embrace love. It was such a positive message. And uh, I think he was 87 when he passed. So what a life and what a legacy. And... 
Um, everyone's raving about it. When, when I first started watching, I thought like, I know all this about Walter because I'm full of you know myself. But this spending time with Walter is a magical uh, thing. So I, I recommend it for everyone. James. Number nine. Number nine. Yes, but before we go on to number nine, I was just going to say, I think you should do an astrology show. <laughs> Get out all the costumes. You can, don't you think? Please, yes. Let's yes. make it happen. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> um, number nine, I watched this afternoon I'm at Palm Springs on Hulu. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard this about this? Have you seen it? Do it's, you um, get it? I haven't seen it. Andy Sandberg. It's Andy Samberg. Can I tell you that it is whose biggest movie to date? It is the most discussed movie on Twitter. It is. It broke all Sundance records. It, it got seventeen point five million dollars um, for Hulu. It is got a ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. People are raving about this movie and Adam Sandberg's performance. It's a time loop movie, like Groundhog Day, um, and you think. It's all been done before. Like, like we know time loop movies. Like, there's nothing exciting about that. Um, uh, Edge of Tomorrow was the one with um, Tom Cruise, and that sort of re- re- reinvented it. But this is absolutely a delight. It is so funny. It is so good. You cry. You laugh. It's um, it has Andy Samberg, Peter Gallagher, J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, J.K. <laughs> J.K. J.K. What's his name? J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, yes. Not J.K. Rowling. It is J.K. Simmons, Kristen Milotti, and Tyler Hoechlin from Teen Wolf. And Kristen Milotti is the love interest in it, and she's absolutely fantastic. They're both caught in this time loop, reliving every single day. And they go through this the, the same old time, you know, the, the tropes of doing, you know, killing yourself every day and da-da-da. But there's a, a big twist in this one, and they really love each other. It's, um, it's, uh, one of the best movies I've seen all year, I think. It's really fantastic. Wow. And I just think everybody needs to give us this a chance. And like I said, I'm meh about Andy Andy Samberg. I don't really care about him either way. But this is something, this is probably the best things he's, he's ever done. And I'm meh about time loop movies. Like, I feel I, like it must be an exhausted genre, but obviously not. It's well, to be the best. Just, you know, it's like you think that the zombie genre is, is exhausted and then someone mm-hmm. comes along and reinvents it. Or, you know, like this is something that just sort of, it, it, it gave a shot of adrenaline to a sort of a tired genre. And it's um, absolutely fantastic. And people are raving about it. And I, and I can't I can't rave about it enough. What is it called? Palm Springs. And Palm I guess it's Springs. filmed in Palm Springs, right? Yes, it all takes place in Palm Springs at your house. On Hulu, okay. <laughs> well, I tell you what I was doing in Palm Springs this week. Uh, at number eight. Number eight. Book of the Trump Club. I was reading Mary Trump's Too Much and Never Enough. Do you, oh, wait, does she come across as likable? Do you love her? Do you believe her? I love her. I believe her. She is actually likable. There's only once or twice when it's a little bit victim-y. But Jesus Christ, if you're in that family, (laughs) how can you not be a victim? (laughs) And I'm I'm doing the Audible book, and she's reading it, and it's a great beginning. That she goes to the White House for some relative's birthday party at the White House. She hasn't seen Trump in eight years, and she just says with sort of brilliant understatement that once Trump became a brand, she'd always loved her family name Trump, but then once Trump became a brand name, her feelings got a little more complicated and, and yet so she, she still keeps the name so i mean yeah, but, well, it's, it's a double-edged sword yes but why should she be bullied out of it and and you know 
that's the, surely the Trump story. And it certainly is in this book. No one has stood up to this monster since the moment he was born. And in fact, the one person who did, and this is a great scene in the book too, is his older brother, the oldest brother, Freddie. Now, Freddie was supposed to be the heir to the Fred family fortune. Fred was a builder of low rent properties in Brooklyn and uh, basically a slumlord and a racist and things like that. And um, Freddie was supposed to be the Fre Freddie was supposed to be the golden son. But much Freddie like the Kennedys, much like there, there was the older brother in the Kennedys, and he was yeah. Right, but Freddie just didn't fancy it. Freddie's real passion was to be a license. Uh, 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 sorry, not a license. His real passion was to be a pilot, and he got his flying license, and he did it all on his own. And in many respects, he was someone who the only one in that family who's really genuinely made something of themselves. Because the Fred Trump died, right? That's right. Fred Trump Sr., who was the master builder, all the money he got to build the estates he built, he got from the government. He didn't really make anything himself. Um, and yes, Freddie was berated by his father. It is a psychological drama of such harshness and cruelty. The only time I almost felt a shred of sympathy was that obviously Trump became who he was because of the parental abuse he was suffering. He saw the way Fred Sr. treated Freddie and demeaned him and put him down and, and just everything he liked, he just tore to pieces and literally psychologically, systematically over a period of years, just destroyed him. And Trump's solution to that was to be like, fuck you, no one's, you know, I don't give a fuck. And, and in a way he out, out, uh, out crueled the cruelty of the father. And, and, and then the father came around and he became the golden son. Donald Trump became the golden son because he didn't give a fuck and he was the killer he always wanted his son to be and that Freddie, Freddie who loved to fly could never be. But there is a great scene and this is when Freddie was 14 and Trump was seven and Trump was always a bastard and an asshole and he glued his brother's Lego bricks together and hit it, it was just awful. And at one point at one family dinner, Freddie, picked up a bowl of mashed potatoes and dumped it on Trump's head. And, and you know what? I believe that is the point at which Donald Trump decided that Freddie must die. Because I also think another great turning point in our culture was when Obama made fun of Trump at the correspondence dinner. Because yeah. you see Trump there, he's deciding he's going to be president. He's going to destroy everything Obama ever did. It's extraordinary to witness. And, and it's just a tragedy that Freddie, who was the only person who really ever stood up to Trump by dumping that bowl of mashed potato on his head, ended up basically, you know, uh, dying of alcoholism. And it was just terribly abused and ill-treated. And um, I tell you, it's a really good book and everyone should read it. I'm looking forward to it. I might get it on tape. I hear it's fun to hear it, have it be read to you. Yeah. Like nightmarish uh, fairy tales at night. Mary Trump reads it. Uh, the author reads it. It's great. She, <laughs> I know we got to move on, but one of the great things is when Trump married uh, Ivana. Ivana, yes, Ivana. Um, the first Christmas present she got was three pairs of underwear. Ha! Like, Why? What well, does that mean? What's the symbolism? What's that? What it means is they're really cheap in terms of giving gifts. The next year, there was a gold lame shoe with chocolates in it wrapped in cellophane. Ha! And the year after that, she was given a food hamper, also wrapped in cellophane, but that 
they'd gone through it and taken the caviar out. So the crackers were left, the cheese and crackers, but the caviar was gone. That's the Trumps, that's the gifts they give. And she says very rightly. Back in class, those Trumps, I tell you. She says, the one thing I learned about Ivana, she loves cellophane. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a break. How about that? I love it. Blake. I have a question. What city is further west? Is it LA, San Diego, or Reno, Nevada? So it's a geography lesson here on the WOW Report on Radio Andy. We'll be right back with the answer after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. I am Fenton here with Tom and James St. James and Blake. And before Blake gives us the answer to the question, I just have to tell you that Backyard Envy is returning to Bravo for season two, August 4th, 10 p.m. Love it, love it, love it. They're so cute. They're coming on the show, actually, I think. Oh, good. Yeah, we're going to have them on the week of July 31st. We're going to have them all, right? Right. Can we make it a shirtless episode? Everybody has to take a shirt. (laughs) Let's not, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so we've reached number seven. The the question. First, I asked a question. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, Which city is further west? Is it... Los Angeles, San Diego, or Reno, Nevada. I'm going to call one, two, three, and we'll answer at the same time. One, two, three, Reno. Reno. That's right. Even though it looks further west on the map. I believe, isn't isn't Vegas also to the west of Los Angeles? I believe so. Yeah, you you wouldn't think it. You wouldn't think to know it. We dip down, we dip, we dip. I dip, you dip, we dip. So, but we do drive east when we go to Vegas. You drive east, don't you? Or do we? <laughs> <laughs> I always fly, darling, private. Well, you fly. <laughs> All right, we're counting down the top 10 things that make us go wow. Wow. Number seven. Number seven. This is probably more. Uh, on the top of my mind because I watch way too much QVC and they have been celebrating aggressively Christmas in July. Oh, you wait, you know, Hallmark has their Christmas in July. They do every single movie is a, is a Christmas movie and it's it, in berserk. It feels <laughs> like something that used to be a saying has been embraced wholly in a way that I'm not, I want to talk about whether it's okay or not. Now, well, the times are sad and Christmas makes people happy as Disneyland makes people happy. But again, having watched the QVC portion of it, which, by the way, guilty of watching almost all of it. It's like fake trees, flameless fake candles, figurines. It just feels like a landfill in your living room. You know, it just... I don't understand. Well, where does it end? I mean, is it Easter in September? Is it Halloween in May? I mean, we could do this with anything. Double it up. to make a little money. And that's what it feels like. It feels like a cash grab to me. And it, I, it feels hollow and false. And and I, I don't think I like it. And yet there is something nice about turning on the TV and seeing, you know, one of those cheesy Hallmark movies in July. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of two minds. I hear you. Fenton, where do you, are you a big Christmas person to begin with? I'm sort of a big Christmas person, but less so now, just because. Because you (laughs) have children and you're being a Grinch? Yeah, but 
I no 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 no. I do the whole Santa thing. I eat the cookies, drink the milk, write the notes. <gasps> Hope Nolan doesn't watch this show. Um, um, and you know, in years past, we made Theron uh, dress up as Santa and break into the house. And we were outside the house, and we're like, "Oh look, there's Santa breaking into the house with gifts." So we've done it very elaborately in the past, and I do love a little bit of Christmas, you know. But uh, it, I, as a to get into this. Did you buy anything, Tom? That's my question. No, but I, I'm just amazed. I, I love the salesmanship of QVC. That's no secret. I love how they can spin That's... anything up, how, how everything is worthwhile, the way they can just go on rapturously about like an ugly angel, you know, <laughs> with, with, with some bad piping and how it, you know, how it brings the warmth and the home and the fan. I mean, they again, it's the Walter Mercado, but all with the desire to sell you something. You know, I've been watching the Jewel Network recently. I've, I've discovered it where they just sell like uncut jewels and, and like cut ju- And like, it's the same thing as QVC, but they will have like a crappy topaz or something and they will talk about it for an hour and a half. Look at the cut and the clear. And they will, it's like, it's such a gift to be able to just talk endlessly yeah. we, we 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 try we strive for it here and yet it is it is truly a, a gift to have. <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> i just think it's overrun thing i love your idea that there's going to be uh, halloween in in spring and halloween <laughs> and just double it up although i have to say my one of my best friends in the whole wide world elena han kayam since her mother started tradition and, she, and her mother's very is a senior uh, amazing person i won't spill her her age but they do birth. They celebrate birthdays and half birthdays. Now that well, yes, well, doesn't no one doesn't no one get two? Yeah, Nolan has his coming home birthday and his birthday birthday. Yeah, he has two as well. But they just yeah. you know make donut breakfasts and they've all you know they're they're a family that will do anything that that uh, hints at the need for a costume. They're there. They're there and they're dressed up. Also, James, I thought this would chime with your theory of sort of the algorithmic nature of things and the way we've lost. A sense of time that it can all be mashed up now, right? Oh, well, that is true. Yes, it, it, we all are in like multiple time streams at once, and who knows where we really stand in in as far as you know the multiverse. Like you said, that great thing. Like our Instagram feeds used to be chronological, and now they're just kind of hodgepodgey and piggly sure piggly. Yes, to stay on longer or to or to vote for Trump or something. I don't know. It's a conspiracy. Anyway, down. Right. With, I mean, if it gives you joy, do it. But I say down with Christmas in July. Down with Christmas in July. Okay. Uh, James number six. Number six. Uh, the James St. James Book Club, the history history book club, is in full effect again this week. Uh, I have been reading two biographies of Madame de Stael. She was a French woman of letters. She was actually um, what was she? I think maybe she was Swiss. I can't remember, but she was a woman of letters during the late 18th century and early um, 19th century. She uh, was a, a political theorist, and she had a she was a head of salon, a political salon that all the greats of the day came to Talleyrand and Rousseau and all of those people. And she was treat she. They, this is written by um, Francine Duplessis Gray, who is herself a woman of letters, and she calls her the first modern woman. And she really was. She um she 
was during this was during the French Revolution, then during the Napoleon era, and then during the Restoration is when she really thrived. And she was a great enemy of Napoleon. He loathed her. He absolutely despised her because she had so much power, and she was a woman who dared to speak out against him, sort of like Mary Trump, I guess. And um, uh, he had her e- exiled many, many times. Over the years, she was she was married to the Swiss ambassador, so she would go to Germany, she would go to England, she would go to Switzerland, um, and she uh, she was like I say the first modern woman in that she was sexually liberated. She was a fiercely intellectual. She was she had a career at a time when women did not have a career, and she was treated as an equal by all of the leading intellectuals of the period. She was not an attractive woman, but she was a bit of a slut. And people loved her for her mind, and she used her mind to sort of lure the leading men of the era into her bed. Um, but like I said, it's a, it's a fast. It's two books that I'm reading. The other one is called "The Dangerous Exile" by Angelica Go, and that um, I'm reading that on my iPad, so I don't have it. Show you right now. Did she die? Did she die a violent death, or did she live to an old age? I, you know, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh. Right now, she's she's still in her sexual prime, so I think we have a ways to go. But like I said, Napoleon kept, really fucked with her, and she really fucked with him. And it's sort of an interesting, like he was her bête noire. You know, he was the, the the. She just at every turn in his life, she was there to thwart him. And it's fascinating that a woman during that period could have so much power over the most powerful man in the world. The, the Plessy Gray book looks really, is it about a thousand pages long? I mean, it, are you really going to? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm in it to win it. I will be there to the, till her bitter end. I think you must have been in a past life like a French aristocrat, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, because they, you, you just know so much about them and you've read all their biographies. They must be like reading about your old friend. Well, each one oh, yes. Each one leads to a different one. She was also a friend of the Princess de Lambeau, who we spoke about last time. Right. And, and Marie um, Antoinette. Yes. And so, um, and she was a favorite of Marie Antoinette's as well. I do have this weird ability. I can read the driest biography of a 16th century nun, her diaries and the letters that I will sit there and do a book this big about, you know, someone's the letters that they wrote. So yes, there are many times when I'm reading these books where I feel like I'm with friends. I feel like I'm with old friends and I come across names and I think, oh gosh, it's good to see that name. And I think that's probably a past life thing. Good old Mario Antoinette. Regression coupon in your future. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So number five, number five, this is another book. It's called Ramble Book, and it's by Adam Buxton. Okay, so who is Adam Buxton? Adam is a Brit. Uh, he has a podcast. But Adam is one half of Adam and Joe. And probably oh. you're also then thinking, who are Adam and Joe? Adam and Joe were the hosts of an early World of Wonder show. Uh, Adam and Joe were two students. They made the show entirely in their bedroom. Uh, they were pop culture obsessed. And they would make little movies with toys, like Star Wars toys, and do cover versions of movies, like the English Marvel. And... What Seth Green does with, with um, Robot Chicken. That's right. That's they right. Were, like, sort of in the early UK. In the UK. Uh, and they're, they're absolutely brilliant. And we're going to put them all on Wow Presents Plus, because it's, it's a, it was a classic cult series. Um, and so, you know, uh, Adam is, is, is a fantastic person. He's written a book. 
and it's called Ramble. And the thing was, it was about to be published when COVID struck and that was it. They were like, you know, we're not gonna publish the book. We'll wait till the world goes back to normal and then publish the book. But what Adam said was just so brilliant. He said, let me do the audio version of the book. Now he could have just read the book on Audible, but he actually just completely reinvented the book. And he has given each new chapter a little jingle that he's written. Uh, and it's as a pop culture obsessive, each jingle is like evokes a hit from the time. Like he does a little, a trio, da, 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 jingle, yeah, or he'll that, do yeah. David Bowie, let's dance, da, da, jingle. He's absolutely brilliant mimic. And then he does these little digressions in the Ramble book, which are where he's out in the countryside walking with his dog. And you can hear the birds tweeting in the background. So he'll be reading the text and then he'll go on a ramble, which will be a sort of digression. And then there may be a sub-ramble. Um, I love that, though. I wish all authors would do that. James, you've got to get this. You will absolutely love it. It's it's Because it's completely random and digressionary feeling, but it's completely fascinating. And it ends up being the, a sort of encyclopedia of 70s, but mainly 80s pop culture in terms of movies and records, all tied into his adolescence and coming of age. Um, I'm hoping he mentions uh, the genesis of the Adam and Joe show that made him famous, but we'll have to wait and see because I haven't got there yet. Um, wait, wasn't the there an Adam and Joe show book that, that they you came out with the uh, years and years right. and years ago, right? Yeah, when the the show was happening, we did four seasons of a show, um, and it uh, we did a book, we did Adam and Joe book too. I think but, I had um, it back there. Yeah, um, but the other thing about the book that is so moving is that it's prompted by his father. Now his father was called Bad Dad and he was an incredibly crusty, snobby, elitist Englishman um, who's dying. He has lung cancer and he comes to live with Adam. And so as he's recounting the story of his youth, he's also telling the story of living with his dad in his last few. It's, it's really very funny, very moving. And James is very you in the sense of sort of tangential randomness um and it's absolutely lovely i also think it's a really difficult you know adam is straight he's white he's male incredibly privileged background it's not an easy narrative to rat to land right now you know true, you think that's not who we want to hear from but he does it with such he's so self-deprecating and humble and and why you know wink knowing about his situation and, and very it's great it's really great and it's only available only available on audible because the printed book isn't isn't out yet and he was saying that when the printed version comes out he's going to retire the audible version um oh huh. it's just it's so brilliant the idea of because audible books are really just like bingeable podcasts right i think that's well you know i it might be a trend it choose a trend because um blake remember you had um talked about cat marnell's um uh audible only she she came out with a book that was audible only and that sort of seemed to be like um a thing that people were doing now yeah i think it's I mean, you need the book audible original audible original yeah. right. that's right all right so let's take a break uh blake have you got a question i do what famous television host was the son-in-law or former son-in-law of david nelson of the nelson ozian Harriet? Oh, this sounds like a Tom question. Well, think about it. You know what it is, Tom. All right, so uh, we'll have the answer right after the break. Before we go, I'll just tell you, Canada's Drag Race is on Wow Presents Plus, 
and watch Drag Race UK's Vinegar Strokes doing the extra lap recap on Wow Presents Plus on Wednesdays. And then, of course, because you can't get enough, you get the new episode on Thursday. And then on Friday, you get Jeffrey Boyer Chapman's podcast. So it's like three days of Canadian eh, right? Extravaganza. Eh, flaganza. All right, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton. James and Tom and Blake, and we're counting down the top 10 things that make us go. Wow. <laughs> we got, it's so hard to do that in a remote context, isn't it? I think we have to think of a new <laughs> slogan. Someday we'll be back together, wowing together. I wonder, I wonder. Well, Blake, what was the question you had and what's the answer? Well, we'll, we'll guess the answer, I suppose. Um, what television host was the son-in-law, or former son-in-law, of David Nelson from uh, the Aussie, the Adventures of Aussie and Harriet. Well, it can't be Bob Barker, <laughs> um, game show host. I'm thinking like an Alan Thick or something, but no, Tom. Get, it has to be younger because David Nelson's like, and then it's like a Nelson, the rock no, band was Ricky Nelson. That would be his parents. Would be the right. one in between. But so. So it would be Nelson age someone. I'm going to say incorrectly, Martha Quinn. Give it to I have no idea. It's Chuck Woolery. No! Uh, Who was he married to? He was married to Terry Nelson is her name. I don't remember Terry. Chuck Woolery. Chuck Woolery. All right, Tom, what have we got number four? Number four. Um, my heart was a little bit broken three times this week. First up most, uh, Kelly Preston, John Travolta's wife, uh, passed away at 57. She had been fighting breast cancer for two years. No one knew. It was a shock. Um, by all accounts, she was a lovely, lovely woman and yeah. beloved by everybody is what I'm sort of learning about her. Just a really neat lady. And there's lots of um, gossip and jokes about John Travolta's sexual preference and, and legitimacy of their marriage in the past. But listen, they were together for decades. They had three children. I'm over uh, figuring out what people's marriages should look like or feel like or sound like. And I think they were very much in love. And uh, it's, it's a tragedy. And, you know, she's, she's my age. I was talking to Fenton earlier today. It's like, it's that age where it's like, it's shocking because it's so young, but it's, it's all within the realm of possibility. It's like we've entered this. It's shocking because they're your age. That's why. Well, but if you recall, I mean, Fenton, we've talked about this before, um, how old Andy Warhol was when he died. He was just right. ancient because we were in our 20s and he was 56, wasn't he? 58. Yeah. He was 58. So. See, that Which is just chicken. That's just a, yeah. a child to us now. And yet at the time when he just seemed I mean, you couldn't get older than Andy Warhol. So yeah. I think young people are looking at, at this and saying, it, but for us, it it, it does touch. Yes. It's very close. Kelly was predeceased by their oldest child. So, you know, every life has a lot of tragedy. So love pouring out to John Travolta and his family and rest in perfection, Kelly. The other just mind-boggling, twisty, awful death was uh, Naya Rivera from Glee who, you know, it's nightmarish. She was on a pontoon boat, uh, found hours later, it was just her son in a life jacket. There's details that I'm having trouble paying attention to because they're so 
kind of sad that she may have been able to get her son on the boat, but was unable to get herself there. Uh, they finally did find her body. And it was it was days and days of just yeah. you know kept refreshing your feed every couple minutes yeah. to see what 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 the update was because Naya is somebody who means a lot to the current generation. Yeah. Uh, you know her her role on Glee was groundbreaking, and she was um, she she is a, a very close ally of the LGBT community. She's Absolutely. beloved by uh, the whole generation. So, and the, you know, and I, I hate to steal it to, to keep going for that, but when you think about the cast of Glee, and you know, people talk about the Glee curse because Corey Monteith, and then um, what happened with the uh, with the other guy who was arrested for the child pornography, and yeah. then he Mark Salling. Mark Salling, yes. So it does seem like like that that whole cast has been through so much. Yes. And it's, you know, it, it's resting. They don't like to night. say that. They don't, you know, Ryan Murphy's come out against that. It was a huge cast ultimately, but, you know, it does, it does again, it just tugs at your heart and it was a show that meant so much to a generation. Yeah. And then last but not least, but a little less known was Benjamin Keogh. Keogh. Elvis's grandson. Yeah. Lee Presley's son. Uh, brother of Riley, the model. He's a beautiful model. Yeah. Um, died at 27. I, I think of a drug overdose. We know that that family has suffered from that disease. A yeah. lot of people say not to be all recovery, but it's it's kind of a, oh, it was a gunshot. Sorry, Blake. Thank you. Um, but I do think he was suffering and struggling. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, uh, um, handsome, handsome boy, and just that whole family is is you know like you said they've had a lot of tragedy in their life, and, and so much. Lisa Marie has had a small career. It must be hard to be in the shadow of Elvis. Yeah, um, but here is this young guy. He was I learned more about him in, in the obituaries, but he was signed to like a multi-million dollar record deal at the end of the two thousands because he had the look. He's Elvis' son. Yeah. I assume he was talented, but it almost, I mean, you know, everyone's talented to a certain degree. It just feels like here, again, once again, I, I don't know, no life lesson other than you can be given everything the world has to offer with both hands and you can still uh, suffer your demons. And 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 um, I hope he's someplace better and out of pain, but it's a tragedy for that family, for Priscilla, you know, the, the grandmother, um, and I don't know, it's just all three of those stories for different reasons just kind of gut-wrenched me uh, this yeah. week. I wanted to talk about them and pay respect to those three people, and and uh, God bless. Beautifully put. Very, very beautiful. James, number three. Number three. Um, I cede my number three to Blake Jacobs. Um, he is going to be speaking about something. I have no idea what it is. Blake, what do you got for us? Well, this is kind of sad, but it was really good. Um, it's this docu-series called Outcry. Have you heard of it? No. It's no. on Showtime, but I believe you can also watch it on Hulu. It's about a high school football star in small town Texas. His name is Greg Kelly, and he was accused in 2013 of molesting a four-year-old boy. Oh, dear. He had, he'd moved in with his friends, Jonathan, Jonathan's parents. They knew each other through football, even though Greg was, like, way better at football. His family kind of took in Greg, and his mom, Sharma, Sharma, I believe, ran a daycare out of the home. And one of the kids went home and said that Greg 
you know, had fondled him or, and so it started this, well, that's kind of what the whole show is about. Like he said that he was guilty from the very beginning, but the prosecutors in the case, I think they just wanted to like, wanted the win, you know, they put someone away. They were disgusting. And the lead prosecutor, her name was Jana Hunt, I believe. She, Jana Duty, she, her husband was uh, like a video editor. And he, she had him make a tape mocking all of Greg Kelly's supporters because he had a lot of supporters, probably because he was like the high school football star in small town Texas. But um, that was one of her. And she also went to jail several times for, like, violating gag orders, withholding evidence, contempt of court. She finally... So was, so was he framed by the by the prosecutors? Is that what, it, what you begin to well, well, I mean, you never know because there are facts on both sides. But I would suggest watching this. It's on Hulu. It's five episodes, an hour each. There's twists and turns. Really it sounds like hard viewing, though. It sounds like it's, it's 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 sort of hard to get through. Right. It's. I mean, it's a tough subject matter, but huh? If you're into docu series and stuff like that, you'll enjoy okay. it. All right. I think I will watch that. I mean, when I've done with the Epstein uh, miniseries, yeah. Like it's, I haven't watched I'm, that one, but I've been meaning to. It, that's a hard one to get through, too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is going to be one year from now? Can you believe she wanted to spend her time between now and the trial in a luxury Manhattan hotel? She had the nerve to ask if she could stay like at the Pierre. Somehow <laughs> they've just got to keep her alive. I don't care where they keep her. Just keep her. like Because it just seems like, oh, it's going to be after the election. After the election, we're going to see Trump's tax returns. After the election, we're going to get the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Because you know Trump's involved in the Epstein thing. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. We're never going to see those damn taxes ever, ever, ever. Number two. Number two. Paul Smith on Instagram. Do you follow Paul Smith on Instagram? The designer? The designer famous for stripes. Yes, who has the pink building on Melrose that everybody takes their picture of. Yes. He, during this lockdown, he started to do a series on his Instagram account of his collections. Oh, yes. An insane collector. He collects early satellite navigation systems, <laughs> textile company fabric books, sugar <laughs> cubes. He has a whole collection of sugar cubes from all over Europe from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Wrapped Bro, sugar on cubes. on earth does a sugar cube last from the 1950s? You look after them. Uh, labels from fruit crates. Okay, I can see that. Seed packets. Okay. I can imagine there are some interesting seed packets out there. This is one for me. Blank notebooks. Oh, you are the king of blank notebooks. I have 10 of them on my desk from you right now. (laughs) That's for you to write your novel. Old audio cassettes. Okay. Remember the cassette? The C90, C60, C30 Go? Sure. Um, Oh. Cigarette cards, which were put into cigarette packets from 1875 until the 1940s. And they were put in the packets to make the packet stiff. They put the card in and there'd be a collectible card. Cards about 
gardening, cards about sports stars, cards about celebrities. Uh, what else does he collect? Beautiful bookshops, biscuit tins. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. And it's just, it's just great to lose yourself because he's got this fetishistic forensic. I don't know how his office must be enormous. It's just stuffed full of all these treasures. Say, where does he keep all of this stuff in a big warehouse? His office, it must be like the TARDIS, just bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Benton, I think that this might be your version of hoarders, that you can look at him and he collects too much. Compared to, I, I, compared to him, I don't have any collections whatsoever. <laughs> and you know he's got more than that, so I'm very excited about that. That's Paul Smith on Instagram. Um, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week. You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. We've been counting down the top 10 things that make us go wow. (laughs) And we have reached number one. Big reveal moment, Tom. Number one. Uh, You know, you never know who you work with until you get to know them a little bit better. And uh, a wonderful gentleman who works in the development department, uh, Michael Mejia, is going to join us. Uh, Blake's going to bring him on. Hello, Michael. Hi, Tom. Uh, Condolences to Michael and to his family. But I just learned from a post on Michael's Facebook, his grandmother passed away last week, which is a tragedy and is very sad and had a big, beautiful family. But what I did know is Ava Mejia uh, was an activist and and I want you to tell us all about her. I want her to be our number one wow thing of the week. Please share her her story. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm personally honored. I know she would be honored. Um, she was a she was a very strong woman. She loved God. She loved her family, and she loved the fight for equality. Um, she was born in 1931 in Jalisco, Mexico, and uh, that's where she met my grandpa Sabino. He was uh, I learned this that he was a semi pro baseball player and she used to watch him play baseball so i didn't know that i didn't inherit i did not inherit the baseball (laughs) team she was a she was a a fan and she stalked him and that's how they got together is that the backstory you know i'll let you tell the story that way james (laughs) (laughs) um but then in 1950 they got married and they immigrated to the united states and settled in uh rio hondo texas southern texas um, there, my grandparents worked in the fields, um, and following the migrant work, they ended up moving to California, to Delano, California, which is where I'm from. Uh, it's the uh, middle of, basically the middle of California, uh, in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, in 1965, uh, they'd become involved with the United Farm Workers Union um, in the, the movement towards uh, getting equal protections for farm workers. And they were working alongside Cesar Chavez. Um, when the UFW went on strike, uh, my grandparents and my great-grandparents marched from... Sorry, my cat is getting... Um, uh, in, uh, when the, uh, the farm workers went on strike, my grandparents and my great-grandparents marched from Delano to Sacramento, which is about 340 miles. Wow. Uh, and they arrived uh, on Easter Sunday in 1966. Um Later that year, my grandpa was one of the signers of a historic first contract between the United Farm Workers Union and a large grower in the region. So they're protesting and they're marching 
worked and, and my grandparents were on the front lines of that uh back in the 60s um and and it was a long it was a long dispute right it went on for a number of years am i right oh, about that? It, went on, it went on for through the 80s up until oh, wow. Chavez passed away in 1993 it was it was a long fight anywhere from getting basic things such as uh toilets out in the field so they wouldn't have to just go somewhere um the biggest one was getting warnings when they would be spraying pesticides on the fields cancer causing pesticides so you know that you they the, the field workers would be out there and all of a sudden you'd hear a cessna coming and that was your cue to run and make sure you grabbed your kids make sure you grabbed your wife your husband get out of the way or you're going to get sprayed Wow. Oh my God. It was a big deal that, that these large growers weren't taking care of the field workers that were, you know, basically feeding the United States. Yes. Um, for very cheap, by the way. Yes. Um, but my grandma was a musician and she sang and she played the guitar and, and, and I owe any musical ability I have to her because it comes straight from her. I could growing up, she was always singing or, or, or playing the guitar. Um, she played at church services and she was always requested to play at um, UFW events, the United Farm Workers Union events by Cesar Chavez himself. Um, in, 1990, in 1988, uh, while Chavez was doing his 36 day fast as a protest against the spraying of pesticides on field workers, um, he would find comfort in listening to my grandma's music to help keep him going because she played at all the services. They would have a church service every day that the fast was going on and he would go and it would just kind of reinvigorate him to go into the next day. Um, when he passed in 93, his memorial at the UFW headquarters in Delano, it's called 40 Acres. Uh, my grandma performed for 45,000 people that were in attendance. Wow. So she was, you know, eat that Lady Gaga. Um, <laughs> Wait, now, did you know all this about your grandmother growing up, or is it, are these things that you've discovered since, you know, in in the later the last couple of years? You know, I knew a lot about it, um, but my grandparents were very humble. Um, right. They were they they didn't they didn't talk about these things in a way that made it seem like it was a huge deal. You know, they just talked about like, oh yeah, you know, when we marched, oh yeah, you know, when, and you know, we had those meetings with Caesar Chavez. When Caesar um, and I were, were, were hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the name was a very common, a common name in, in, in the family, but um, it isn't until something like a funeral service or a memorial service that you just hear everything laid out for you. Yeah. And you see, you know, you get the, you get the the view from a thousand miles up and, and it's like this woman lived an incredible life and, and she gave so much of herself to her family, to her community, to her people. Um, at my grandmother's funeral, um, the special guest was Paul Chavez, uh, Cesar Chavez's son. And he mentioned that his dad didn't like being recognized for his work and he was uncomfortable receiving awards because of the many unsung heroes of the movement meaning my grandma and my grandpa being included in that circle. Um, and so it's, you know, my, like I said, my grandparents were very humble people. Um, you know, my, my grandpa always had a chili in his pocket because he never wanted to be without uh, a little bit of flavor. Um, but, you know, farm workers' lives were really hard and um, living conditions were terrible. You know, racism was common. 
Um, and my dad was telling me a story about how he remembered one summer living in a barn on a farm where they were working and how him and his brothers and sisters were kids and they were excited because they got to sleep under the stars and watch the stars as they slept that night. But it wasn't until later that he realized it's because the barn had holes in the roof that they had put them in to live in. Um, my grandparents never wanted their children to be field workers. They wanted more for them. And that's why they came to the United States and they taught them hard work and, and, you know, that gets passed down and, I am personally, I'm a result of the dream they had for their family. So I've, I've never worked a day in, uh, a day in the fields in my life. Um, and I think that's what my grandparents wanted for mm -hmm. their families. Um, well, yeah. they certainly, they certainly passed on the values. I mean, you work incredibly hard. So, and you, um, you've written about them on face on your Facebook is, is that where, where Tom, you said that you were reading about this? Well, you're posted an article from the Cesar Chavez like new like newspaper. Oh, okay, okay. It, it brought me to tears, and and hearing more today is amazing, Michael. And it just says I feel like a lazy lump compared to your grandparents, your family. Yeah. But but what a difference! I'd like to think what a difference all of us make in our own you know small, medium, or large ways. And you think, oh, I'm useless, or I can't help someone. And just the fact, and she did so much more. The fact that your mother's voice brought such comfort and console to somebody who was doing amazing things and changing the world for the better, literally. And, and against mm -hmm. all odds, and again, you know, none of that is easy or rewarding uh, in, in, in the immediate. It's all just such hard, hard legacy, long work, and God bless people like your grandmother and grandfather. And it was such a great article to read. And we'll post it on the WOW Report so you yeah, can please, read it. Yeah. It is a fascinating life, and you realize that history is made up of, of the struggle of individuals and what they contribute and what they do and that they then pass it on to you and here you are so ah, and, and, and influence itself is um influence is is who you connect with influence is who you help influence is the relationships you build and and my grandmother had a lot of influence um and and i i'm sad i'm heartbroken at her passing i'm sad for my family members going to to a funeral during COVID was not easy because we wanted to hug and we wanted to cry and we did the best we could um, while social distancing. But um, mm. she was she was loved and she and she gave love. So thank you guys so much for having me. Thank, thank you. you, thank you for coming. Yeah. Okay. As, as always, thank hug. You, hug everybody. And thank you, Tom, and thank you, James, and thank you, Blake, because that's all we've got time for. Um, go out with a mask and do something that makes the world go wow. Until next week. Bye. 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 Bye.